Hava Yahweh, the sharing of your word for the glory of you, Father God. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit that comes to teach and guide, Father God, these words for encouragement and uplifting, my brothers and sisters. Hava Yahweh, Aman, Yeshua Aman, Parakitos Aman. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, so we're going to be bouncing around a little bit in some scriptures here, but if you pay attention, you'll see that there is all relevance and that it's all tied together. It's a just different periods of time. But brothers and sisters, I'm going to share this with you too, is that there are those amongst even those that claim to be Christians that think that contextual teaching has to be chronological verses and has to be in the same book and so forth and so on. However, in righteous teaching, God has shown me and the Spirit speaks to me and takes me through the Bible when sharing and it's done in relevance and it's done in righteousness, it's all the same. It is all the lesson to be taught, to learn, to hear, to encourage, to exhort, and for some admonishment. And again, for those that seek offense, they will find offense. And for those that seek his face, they will find his face. Do so with all diligence, with your heart, your mind, your soul. Seek his face and he will be revealed, and he will reveal himself, and he will speak to you. But if you seek offense, the accuser will be more than happy to take you into that dark place. He'll be very happy to keep you separated from everyone else. He'll be very pleased in the fact that you get so agitated, you don't even want to read the Bible anymore. You don't want to pray anymore. You don't want to listen to the word. Remember, Jesus Christ shared it with everyone and he wasn't the only one. It's in a number of places throughout the Bible. And God spoke it through the Old Testament as well. They that have ears, let them hear. And eyes to let them see. We are talking about spiritual hearing and vision, not the physicality. There is a difference. And there are people that don't understand that. And those are the ones who, like the Pharisees, are dumbfounded by hearing anything that's said from the word that's done in righteousness. And they're not able to understand because they're not listening with spiritual ears. So, enough said of that. I'm going to share some things, and we're going to start back in the book of Deuteronomy. And this has to do just a, a brief history on giants. And I speak to that, brothers and sisters, because do we not create giants and mountains? I, I've shared this with you before, brothers and sisters, that many times those giants that we run into and those mountains that are actually average-sized people and normal-sized people and those mountains have become pushed up out of molehills and they're really nothing, but in our mindset, they have become giants. And the enemy does it. This is, I've, I've shared this, you have to be very cautious 
because the mindset is very important. And the mind is actually a very powerful thing, brothers and sisters. It is a very powerful thing. This is why illusionists and magicians, it is the mind, it is the illusion and the mindset that people will get and they can't see how the... um, I used to know the terminology. There are several steps that illusionists or magicians will use. Um, It's the distraction. And then the prestige is what they call the the grand illusion, the big finality. And you don't see how it's done. And then people say, oh, my gosh, that's magic. Well, it's an illusion. And the mindset is what is used because the mind convinces the eyes that they're seeing something that they're not seeing. This is the same thing that Satan does, brothers and sisters. Satan does this very same thing. Gets in the mindset and gets you to either change your mind, and I shared this with you previously, is that we judge ourselves and we debase ourselves to the point sometimes that you just don't get in the word, we don't pray, we don't talk to God, we turn our backs. And then we try to fix what's broken in us before we come to God, except the problem being that in the word of God, we are told to come before God in all things. It doesn't say, well, when you were naughty, don't come before God until you get it fixed. Or uh, when you were over here doing that, don't come back to God before you get it fixed. It doesn't say that anywhere in the scriptures. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we fix ourselves first and then come to God. What it does say is that we come before God in all things, humbly, prayerfully, boldly, And you can be bold and humble at the same time. That is true. You don't come before God boldly and arrogantly. There's a difference. And he's liable to slap you for that. Figuratively speaking. And then maybe not figuratively speaking. Because you don't come before the sovereign Lord God creator of all things. And start talking smack. Because you're liable to get that slap. And it's going to be in a way that you don't like. And he's pointed that out in the Bible a number of times. And it's not good. Look look, what's, look around and see what's going on with this nation. This used to be one nation under God. Do you not think that God is slapping this nation around because they turned his back on him and said, we got this. We're going to be alphabet people. We're going to ignore the children, the orphans, and the widows. We're going to ignore those that need, are in need. We are going to vaunt ourselves higher than anyone else. We're going to give ourselves money over anyone else, the programs that people need to have are not going to be available because we are deciding to take away from those and put it in our pockets. And the judges and the judgments, this is all in the Bible, brothers and sisters. This is not something new. This is in the Bible, and the Bible speaks to these things. So do you not think that this nation that has turned its back on God is getting slapped around a little bit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It definitely is. But anyway, let's go back up to these giants. I'm going to share this in, in the size of, and these are real. The Amim, the uh, Enomim, they called them, they had names for them. And this is, this is the line of uh, 
this is uh, the line of, of Goliath, okay? These are, these are his relations before David whacked him with that rock upside his head. For only Og, King Abasho, remained of the remnant of giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Itabeth, the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. That's pretty big. And then we'll jump down to verse 13. And the rest of Gilead and all Basham, being in the kingdom of Ab, gave I into the into the half-tribe of Mashach, all the region of Argob, with all the Basham, which was called the land of giants. So the giants are real. They were, they were genuine. Now, the bed, we'll translate that into folks there, it was about 15 feet long and 9 feet wide and made of cast iron to hold the weight of this king of the giants. He's real. Okay, and in our mindset, the giants that we create and we push up are also real. They're real to us. God sees them and knows what that trouble is for us. But here's the thing too, brothers and sisters. I've shared this with you previously and that if we seek God, Rather than offense, we will find God. Seek God in all things. He is with us. He is for us. And he will guide us and take care of us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. And in Deuteronomy 4, 29-31, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. When thou art in tribulation and in all things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shalt be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God and he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee nor forget the covenant of thy fathers which he swear unto them. Now, granted, it's being spoken to the nation of Israel, but this is a word from God which he has shared with us before. In Deuteronomy, he's done so in Chronicles, he's done so in Joshua 1.9. He's also done so in Isaiah. The prophet speaks to the nation and tells them, be not afraid nor dismayed. He also tells us to wait upon the Lord and our strength will be renewed. Brothers and sisters, this is very important. Now, again, I say that some people will call this uh, this line of travel that I'm doing today is uh, they confuse issues because they don't speak righteousness. So they, they declare this to be out of context. It's not contextual. Well, it is because context doesn't have to have to do with the chronological order of verses or books. What it does have to do with is the context of the word. That means what it holds within it 
if it's done so in righteousness and it interweaves and intertwines, which the whole word of God does, what's taking out of context is when you take one single verse and then you try to build an entire subject that is totally contrary to that verse and totally contrary of what the Bible actually says. That's taking out of context, just like I shared before, that young man took one single verse and then declared that the Bible proved proved that Jesus Christ is a liar. And that one verse convinced that young man, and sadly, he had others convinced that Jesus Christ lied because Jesus, and then tapping his watch and being foolhardy and trying to make a joke out of it that, that Jesus is late. Uh, excuse me, he didn't read contextually and read the rest of the scripture. When Jesus declared that no man knows no, not even the angels, nor do I, but the Father only knows the time. So this young man built up this whole lesson, and looking on the wall behind him was a pentagram, so he was a student of Satan and of the minions of the enemy, so that showed me immediately what this kid was about, and this is what the devil does. He gets your mindset working in a certain direction, and then you just go with it, so it's very easy to become confused. So here too, I'm going to share with these things that, that God was speaking to the nation. And, um, and I shared with this with you the other day, um, not because of anything that we have, did, do, possess, can buy. We can't get and buy from God what God provides. Way too expensive. Besides that, there's nothing, not one iota of anything that we have that does not belong to him already. <clears throat> and nothing that we can have that we can declare value of the blood of Jesus Christ who came and sacrificed himself or stepped off of the throne that he sat on in heaven and came down here. And in stepping down, he set his crown on the seat. And of course, we know that he was going back and that was promised and his faith in his father to, to raise him from the dead so that he could come back. Okay, so here we have in Deuteronomy uh, 7. For thou art a holy people, verse 6. A holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers had the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's how long God's promises are. Generations are, it's a long time. I think uh, is a decade is 10 years, a generation is, they figuratively speaking, 20 years. So, you know, a thousand times 20, what? <laughs> uh, 200,000. So anyway, but we have to remember, brothers and sisters, 
it's not because of what, who or what I have, but because he loves me. And he's speaking this to the children of Israel, but it is also a reminder to us. And herein again, I'm going to bring up that little two-letter word. I know you all getting tired of this. Say, oh man, not again. But let me remind you that when John went, you know, and he was preaching a sermon, they said, can you speak something new today? You know, you're just getting kind of old of that for God so love the world thing and talking about the love. But that's the import, brothers and sisters. It's very important. And then John started a little something fresh and new and they all breathed a sigh of relief. And then came John's same old thing, for God so loved the world. And there's that little two-letter word again, and speaking of it right there in, that, in those verses. For God so loved me that Jesus Christ stepped off of that throne. And, and this might be a little more eye-opening to you, brothers and sisters. For God so loved the world, he loved all of us and all of us. But you know what? I make it personal. And when I pray, and I'm talking to him at night when I get ready to lay my head down, I make things more personal and I throw my weakness because I am weak. And he knows that, but I confess that to him and I take it to him and I don't, you know, I, I work diligently and try not to push these giants up. You know, I've got this thing coming up in work that's, you know, I've gone to interviews and all this stuff, but I'm not going to make a mole, a molehill into a mountain. That's what the enemy wants me to do. He wants me to be all agitated. He wants me to be twisted. He wants me to get my knickers in a twist, but I don't do that because that makes me uncomfortable. And what makes me comfortable is my Father God. Because why? Because he loves me so much. And God is so full of love that he can walk and talk with each and every single person. Each and every single one of us. And tell us, you are my own. I love you so much. And then go to the next brother or sister and tell them the same thing. And that doesn't mean that, you know, he's backstabbing or doing something contrary. He is just so much love that he can do that. Whereas opposed to mammon, we can't do that. Sit there and declare to one another that we love so much and then turn around and in the next step we're somewhere else. God doesn't do that because God is love. Not just doing something that he ought to do because it's the right thing to do, but because he is that thing. And the Bible tells me so. The Bible declares in numerous locations that God is love. Not that God does love or God shares love. God is love. There's a difference. And God so loved the world. And I'm going to share some more. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? Now, when it talks about fearing God, yes, God can smack you down and just flatten you like a pancake or just speak a word and you are going to be like Enoch and be no more. You will just dissolve and disappear. And he can do that. He can also take these physical mountains that we see in front of our face. And he can take them and throw them into the ocean. If that is a righteous request and done so in faith, that can happen. But I believe that in the word that God is talking about these mountains and molehills that we push up 
to make those things and those giants that we create in our minds. But if we have faith to push through our weakness into his strength, his righteous, strong right hand and hang on and not be whining about why me, Lord, but what are you trying to teach me, Father? I will walk this road with you. I will follow you. Because I have faith in you, you created all things. You are sovereign Lord God. That's auspicious fear, brothers and sisters. That is all we need to have. We know that God can. We believe that he can. Have faith in God. And the detour in the road is the road that we are intended to be on. Trust and have faith in this, that God might put us on a detour because he already knows what's coming before us and it's not a safe place for us to be. The walk that we might be on might be a little steeper grade. And we might have to downshift. You know, I'll share this with you, you know, and this happens sometimes seemingly in, in life as we walk, as we travel with God. I drove commercially for a long time and there's a, there's a place, the Cumberland Gap. I would have to take my 18-wheeler, 13 split-over transfer, which means I had 13 gears, I had two levels of transmission gears, and I had to shift from the high transfer to the low transfer, and then all the way through the gears in each one of them to the lowest possible gear in order to get up that hill. And there were times that I had things in that truck, and it took me... I think the longest trip I went on up that thing one time was uh, 40 minutes from the bottom to the top in absolute low gear. And you can't, you know, you hear the transmission going up and you think you're going to be able to shift and then it drops right back down. You have to drop down again and then really that's foolish because then you're actually going to have to stop so that you don't destroy the transmission. So you put it in a low gear and you just bounce your way up that hill in low gear and just go. We're going to be on paths sometimes that it, it feels that way. But if you continually hold on to the righteous, strong right hand of God, he will take us through there. And we have that auspicious fear to walk with him and allow him to guide us and teach us. And then in verse 16, it says, To circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. Okay. So here in part, brothers and sisters, is that thing too, is that circumcision, we know that there was a covenant between um, the children of Israel and God, and that God told them to, to as a symbol of that covenant, that they were to uh, circumcise the children and take the foreskin um, from the genitalia of the males. And actually, there's some tribes that do that with women as well. Um, I'm not sure quite that. I think that, see, that, that was a something that one of their false teachers started convincing them that God wanted that. Uh, that's contrary. But anyway, <clears throat> what they're talking here is actually circumcised, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. So right away, we should understand that that is a symbolism. And what that is a symbol of is that we're changing our heart. We're taking that thing that... that uh, is outward away so that our heart is is bare out to God. You, and it's a symbol, brothers and sisters, a symbol that we are circumcised, we're separate, we're different, and we're taking part in that covenant. It's a promise that we make to be in that in that covenant with God. 
that's what that symbolizes. And, but we know, too, that there are those that backtrack, and God knows that. The prodigal son does that, and that in and of itself, the parable of the prodigal son speaks to that very thing. They knew what their father was about and that he worshiped God, that he believed in God, that he had faith in God. And yet the prodigal son just got tired of it all, threw up his hand and said, give me my money, I'm out of here. And the father uh, gave in to him and gave him his money and off he went. And he spent every single thing he had on prodigal living. Prodigal living means just doing and as he wanted. Out there drinking, getting done, carousing, orgies, and all that stuff. And he spent every single penny he had and every single thing he had and gave it away. And wound up living in the trough with the pigs. Lived in their sty. He sheltered out of the weather. He went in there and slept with the pigs. And he ate out of their trough because he couldn't find any food. So he went and he ate with the pigs. And then he goes, why did I do this? Look what I've done. I walked away from all these blessings that I had in the house and I did this very thing and then he went back home. And what did the father do? He forgave him. So the parabolic speech of that is that Jesus Christ was talking about each and every one of us. And what did the father do? Yet when the son was far off, he ran to him so that the servants of the house didn't see how filthy, nasty, stinky he was and didn't see that he didn't have shoes on his feet. That was not a good thing because shoes, of course, as we know, are very important. Or we should know in reading through the Bible how important they are. And that he just, where were his shoes? He had no idea. He was too drunk. But the father ran to him, forgave him, kissed him on the neck, and pulled him in close. And here we find another one I'm going to share in Deuteronomy 11, 16. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Shared this with you before too, brothers and sisters, that there will be those that will come to try to deceive us, lie to us and get us convinced. Hey, Jesus is over here. He's in the back room. Come on over here and talk to Jesus. Well, liar, liar. And until my God tells me and reveals to me that Jesus Christ is coming. And, and why, <laughs> as the Bible says, that only God knows. So how, how would it be, um, brothers and sisters, that our father, our good, good father, is going to tell this hooligan over here that Jesus Christ is in their back room and, and that he should tell folks and not tell something to the rest of his children. So the guy's a liar and God would not function that way. If Jesus Christ were going to be here, there would be an announcement and everyone would know. And the angels would come, whether it be while you're sleeping, or present themselves and say, he's here now. It's time to go. Okay, because then this foolish person is declaring something that is totally contrary to the scriptural teaching. And there will be those that will be deceived and they go and they do that thing. There are churches that are established now and they believe that thing. Okay, let's share something, backtrack here in history a little bit. Uh, are there those of you out there that remember uh, Jim Jones who declared himself that he was God incarnate and talked them into drinking all that Kool-Aid? And what did they do? They went down to Guyana where he was had established his church so he could do and say anything he wanted to do. 
And he went down there because they didn't have an expulsion program where they would, uh, now I forgot the word, I'm an old guy, man, where the court could have him sent back to the United States and stand trial and all that. Well, he went down there because they didn't have that. They didn't honor that. And he was going to be safe from that. So Jim Jones went down there and conducted himself basically the way he wanted to, and he found people that were gullible enough to follow what he said and didn't question anything, and they went and convinced them all to drink the Kool-Aid, and they did. And for those of you that are old enough to remember, of course, you know that the Kool-Aid was poison. But he was convincing them that if they followed him and did this, that they'd all follow him into eternity. Yeah, that's true. Eternity of burning, not eternity with God, eternity of perishing. So in speaking to deception and lies, brothers and sisters, I share with you in Deuteronomy 7, um, 16, 18, 18 through 19, judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth to thee, Throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest judgment, meaning that you're not going to argue with it because it's not really yours, that there shouldn't be any argument that judgment is going to be. Thou shalt not respect persons. That means that judgment is the same for everyone. Truth, liberty, justice for all. Neither take a gift for a gift doth blind the eye of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. Bribery. False statements. There are churches that do this thing where they take, they're stealing from God actually. And oh my goodness gracious, there will be recompense for that because they're taking that from God. And I shared with you, I was in a place and and then of course, uh, having taken a closer look in, at these to this father and son, these deceptive individuals. Of course, again, I'm not going to mention the name of the, of the church and I'm not going to tell you who they are, but it's a father and son and seeing how they were dressed and how they were very, very obvious of the money that they were in love with. And that's where their heart was and not with God. They were talking, convincing their congregation that this is what they're supposed to do and constantly talking about money. Their heart was not in God and the word and the truth. Their heart was in money, making money. And their little shops that they had set up throughout the church, if it saddens my heart, it does. But the saddest thing in my heart about this is is that the people being deceived and following them. For those will be those will come, and it tells us in the Bible that they will. And in describing for me the description of what's going on in this land right now, and this is just one scripture. This isn't even a prophetic speak uh, speaking from Jeremiah and Isaiah and the other prophets, Ezekiel and Daniel, that talk about this nation. 
you read through Deuteronomy 23 through 29. Brothers and sisters, all you have to do is in certain, certain places through this is that you just insert. Don't change what it's saying, but just insert rather than when it talks about the nation that you just insert America or USA. You're going to see it's uh, actually quite enlightening, but it speaks to this very thing. And again, what I'm talking when I tell you throughout the Bible that God tells us this very thing. And this is in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And this is when Moses is talking to Joshua before they're getting ready to cross the Jordan and go into there. And again, he reminded them in verse 8, And the Lord he it is that doth go before thee. He will not, he will not be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. I'm sorry, I misread that and misspoke and I switched over to the other side. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. So Moses is reminding Joshua. And then, of course, later, uh, we also, in the book of uh, Joshua 1.9, we know that the angel of the Lord is talking to Joshua and God reveals to Joshua, have I not commanded thee to be of good courage, be not afraid nor dismayed. And we see there that he did in several occasions, just twice right there in the one verse or in the one chapter. <clears throat> and brothers and sisters, this is all important and it's all relevant. And I'm going to share here with you too. Um, this is not exactly. <laughs> this is not new for me. This is this is just reinforcement, and it's beautiful. And I love it. In First Chronicles, and we go to First Chronicles, <clears throat> twenty-nine. Verse 11, thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted above all. Both riches and honor come of thee and thou reignest over all and in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. Brothers and sisters, we're told to do that in all things. All things. Even when we think that we're climbing up that steep, big old mountain that uh, we have dealings climbing up, which God tells us we are. But relative to that, if we jump over to... Second Chronicles, starting in verse 10. This is Solomon's prayer to God and God's honor. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? 
So Solomon is asking God to give him that. And he's also telling God that the people are so great. And, and who is he that's going to be able to do this thing? Because they are God's people. So he comes before God boldly, but humbly, and requesting knowledge and wisdom. And God grants us. And God said to Solomon, because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked for riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast asked long life, but had asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people, over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches, wealth, and honor, such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall thou be any after thee have the like. Brothers and sisters, you can read historical documentation of books, the minds, Solomon's Minds, things like that, and, and you can read through different books. And David, being his father, and yet Solomon was made or put in a position greater than his father in that respect. So he came before God humbly and did these things, and God honored that and gave him more. And it is, God is just that way. He loves so deeply. And Second Chronicles 19.7, Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. That would be bribery. And that we are not condemned. There is no iniquity. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't blame. That's the, that's the enemy does that thing. He blames, accuses, points his finger. God judges. God judges rightly. He's no respecter of persons, meaning that it is the same for everyone. This and a lot of people say, oh my well if God is love, how can he how can he throw all those people in hell? How can he do that to them? God's not love. Well no, God's a righteous judge. And he's not just taking people and throwing them in hell. Those people have chosen to follow that. And also understand this, that God did created hell, as we call it, as we know it. Hell, Hades, the pit, whatever you want to call it. God created that to hold Satan and his angels that were tossed out of heaven. That was what that was created for. However, there's been rebuilding and expansion, a lot of construction going on. And why is that? Because so many people are deciding to turn their back on God, have chosen to turn their back on God and follow the devil, Satan, and walk in his way. So as it says there that God doesn't respect anyone as a person. He doesn't care what you have or what you have not. He doesn't care that you smell. He doesn't care that you don't smell. He doesn't care that your hair is perfect, that your cloth is in such fine array. He doesn't care about any of that. All he cares about is righteous judgment and that he loves 
and gives us a choice to choose to be with him or not. And I want to share something here with you too, brothers and sisters, that this is, this is an important thing. And in Second Chronicles 20, and you're going to recognize something here right away. In verse 15, and he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17, Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with thee. <clears throat> so it doesn't matter the multitude. It doesn't matter the darkness of the night. It doesn't matter the greatness of the, of the army. God is with us. And brothers and sisters, it's important that we know this thing. And in Isaiah 12, verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Now, perhaps that may or may not sound familiar, but I'm going to point it out to you anyway. You remember the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, who Jesus Christ forgave and said, when you draw from this well, you will thirst again. But if you drink from the water that I offer, the living water from the well of salvation that is in with, within me, Ye shall not thirst again. And what is Isaiah talking about right here? Brothers and sisters, in the book of Isaiah, which is approximately 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. And he also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. So, brothers and sisters, many of these things, people will go straight over. They just read it and say, oh, well, he's talking about saving him from that army. He's talking about, well, yeah, except that Isaiah was also God's prophet. And we have to remember that many times through God's parabolic speech, which he taught to his son that he's referencing and in the book of Psalms, there's reference to the birth of Christ, the Virgin Mary. And also there is reference to that in the book of Isaiah, several times talking about the virgin birth. And then, of course, when the angel came to the uh, shepherds and reminded them about her birth, uh, his birth and that uh, they shouldn't be afraid. So, brothers and sisters... I share these things with you because the context is 
throughout the Bible. The relevance is throughout the Bible. And those who declare that the Bible is not relevant to anything, um, we just traveled through time and space through the Bible of almost a thousand years. Well, not quite. But we went back in time, and let's see. So between that, that's about a hundred and... That's about 110, 120 years, and then from Isaiah down to the birth of Christ, we're talking about almost 700 years. So bouncing through those scriptures and then coming down and tying into the birth of Christ, the relevance of the word of God is not contrary. And all those verses, though I didn't follow in chronological order, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 through 45, I didn't do it that way, but none of this was contrary. It was all contextual because they all wrapped together. They all threaded together. They all spoke of one thing. And that is the sovereignty of God that we should not push the molehills into mountains and the giants do exist. God knows that. But here's the thing. God knows that. Don't be afraid of it and don't whine and cry. Here's the other thing we have to remember too. Is though, although God could very easily do it, God's not a millennial parent. And I use that reference and don't get your knickers in a twist about it. And if you do, well, too bad. This is what the term is. And the reason that terminology is used is because at that point in time only, it relates to those that started getting this thing with the computers and everything there and everything is, uh, you know, right now, right now, right now, and this is how children have become. And then you have those parents that have decided to cave in to those wants, desires, and requests of the children rather than being a parent. So understand this, that God is not one of those millennial parents. Is it just because we whine and cry about everything, we're not going to get it? And many of each other, I, and I've witnessed it. I have witnessed it physically right in front of my face. And I have had some of these millennial spoiled rotten brats. They've lost a $3,000 laptop computer that their parents bought for them. And when I had one come back and, and oh, didn't you get it? And I said, well, actually, no, because I was operating the vehicle. And when I thought I saw what took place. I went back to check and it was already gone. And this brat, this spoiled brat, oh well, mom and dad will get me another one. Oh, okay, yeah, there's $3,000 that he didn't care anything about. He didn't care about any of the data or anything on it. Didn't care anything about that. Mom and dad will give me another one. Oh my goodness gracious, are you kidding me? And then, of course, when the big expensive flip phones and all that stuff were going on, you know, I, I used to find those a bunch. Once in a while, I was able to return them because the student would come back and I said, yeah, I have it. And they would be so happy. And then I've had those that said, well, well, I guess I'll have to see mom and dad about a new one. You know, that's all they cared about. And then the time that we had somebody walked off and left a... What, what do you say? Um, oh, goodness gracious, this bicycle aficionado that, that I worked with at the time where I was at. I think he said it was a 
a six thousand dollar custom bicycle. It was a, it was an off road uh, trail bike, but everything on it was custom. I mean, this thing was so incredible. I picked it up, and on one finger, my index finger, I was holding this bicycle and perfectly balanced and centered. And the bicycle aficionado, who I knew he was, you know, I asked him about it because I thought I was admiring it. And he said, "Oh, it's about six thousand dollars." I took it back and I put it in the lost and found. I mean, it had custom everything, top to bottom and front to back. And never met the person that, that did that. But, I mean, they walked off and left this at, in the bike rack on the front of the vehicle. Seriously? That $6,000 means that little? Or that your mind is wrapped up in those molehills being pushed into mountains and those little average size issues being pushed into giants that you walk off and you leave $6,000, $3,000, $1,000 and up in, in the phones. Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, but that's, <laughs> I, I came from a different time and, and started falling into that. And I thank God that that's not the case anymore. But God is not that way. He's not going to just give you everything because you whine and cry about it. And sometimes when you do, he makes things a little intense and you're going to be, oh man, this is pretty tough, God. But then you feel him squeeze tighter on your hand. And then you look up and you see him smiling down at his loved child. And then he gives you the nod of the head and he says, come on, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, brothers and sisters, because God loves us so much. How much? So much. That he gave us the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, and to have faith in him. And that's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. Paramount importance. Have faith in God and not fret the average person turning into a giant are those things that we allow to become giants. And don't push the molehill into a mountain, but have the faith to say, mountain be gone into the sea because you are not going to block my way anymore. And then walk forward in faith. That's what's important, brothers and sisters. I love you. Have a blessed and encouraged day. And I pray with you, for you, on your going, my going out, my coming in. Have a great day.